And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to Echoes of Calvary, brought to you by Calvary Bible Church. Please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. Today, we'll consider more of what the scripture says about our sin nature, and we will also see that Adam is our federal head. And now, with his message for today, is our pastor, Robert Elliott. When Adam and Eve fell, all of their descendants fell with them into sin, such that all babies born after Adam and Eve, their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, down the line to your children, all children inherit, are born with a sin nature. Only one born of a woman not to inherit a sin nature was Jesus Christ because he was virgin born. That's the point of the virgin birth. There was no sperm from a man to pass on a sin nature to a baby. That's the whole point of the virgin birth. And so when the psalmist David in Psalm 51 came to grips with his sin with Bathsheba, in verse 5 of the 51st Psalm, he makes reference to the inheritance, the perpetuity of a tendency to sin being passed along to all people. And in Psalm 51.5, he wrote, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Now that is not teaching that marital intimacy is sin in God's eyes. God invented marital intimacy. It's a blessing in a marriage. But it is saying that David understood from the moment he was conceived, he got a sin nature and a tendency to rebel against God. A New Testament teaching of the same is in Ephesians 2 verse 3. Listen, among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That is saying that by nature human beings are deserving of God's wrath. Because by nature, our default position is to rebel against God. Doubt that? How many of you had to teach your little child to say no? We have to teach our children to say yes. Every child comes factory installed with the default position of no toward their parents, but toward God. Little humans come factory loaded with a bent to sin. And since the fall of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, we all have personal sin. We all have positional sin. We all have inherent sin, and we all have imputed sin. We're in trouble. And so looking at the first line in your charts, in your outlines, in the Adam column, you see Adam's disobedience ushered in sin 
to the human race. Verse 13, for until the law, sin was in the world. Before God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses on Mount Sinai, sin was already in the world. Of course it was. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. That is to say, sin is not charged as being a specific violation of a rule before the law of God established the rules. That being said, sin was still, and sin paid its wage of death between Adam and Moses when the law was given. Romans 6.23, you know it. For the wages, the paycheck of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And how do we know that sin still paid its wage prior to the giving of the law to Moses? All the physical deaths that happened from Adam to Moses. All the graves that were opened and people buried in because they died. Tons of people died before the law was given. In fact, all the people on earth died in the global flood except the family Noah of eight persons. So what does it mean in verse 13? For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed. This is an illustration. I use all these speeding illustrations in my life. You know, all these illustrations of me driving too fast. I guess I, guess I have to admit that my right foot is the last part of me to be sanctified. <laughs> if a person is speeding clearly, but there is no police officer, no radar trap to catch the person who is speeding and breaking the law. He's still breaking the law. He just didn't get caught. People were disobeying God's character and ways and personhood before the law was ever given. They just weren't given a label as to how they transgressed. Covetousness, lust, thievery, blasphemy. Let's skip down to verse 18. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. Notice here that even through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. Does that teach that everybody's saved? No. This is not universalism, that everyone gets to heaven if they just have a pulse. It doesn't teach that. All here is all who believe in Christ. All here is all who believe in Christ. Compare verse 17's phrase, those who receive, and also compare John 9, verse 13. So in verse 18, when it says, So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, there all means all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all who would believe in Jesus. All of them. You know, Jesus came to reveal God when he came the first Christmas to teach about God, to do God's works, to live out God's perfect character. And he said many things in the Gospel of John, but I want to give you just verses 9 to 13 of chapter 1. Listen. There was the true light which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. 
This is Jesus, of course. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, that is the Jews. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Oh, to receive him is to believe in his name. Those who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So not everyone's going to be saved. Only believers in Jesus Christ will be saved. Now on to verse 19 in our passage of Romans 5. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, that's Jesus, the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. Theologians have a way of describing this theological truth. And theologians teach that Adam was our federal head. Say that with me. Federal head. Again, federal head. Adam is mankind's federal head. The judicial representative of all humans after him federal head. One of the things I appreciate about the Bahamas is the British heritage that is in this country. As a Canadian, I became acquainted with the British heritage as found in Canada. And we know, don't we, that the Governor General, Dame Marguerite Pendling, represents the Queen in the Bahamas. She is the federal head of the queen in the Bahamas. She represents the queen. But she also is a head of the Bahamian citizens insofar as if there are matters that the queen should know about and speak to, the governor general goes to have an audience with Queen Elizabeth II and brings those concerns to the queen. Adam is our federal head insofar as the transmission of sin to all people. Therefore, when Adam, our federal head, sinned, all of us fell into sinning too. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas, and I serve the youth pastor at Carrie Bible Church. Today we want to continue on our series, Influencer. And you know, this has been such a, a great series to think about that, that we need to recognize that we are influencers. And today we want to talk about the greatest story that we have. And to be an influencer, tell God's story, not just your own. You see, there are people who are the greatest storytellers ever. Um, we could think of some of them on TV and, you know, we could think of how their stories are interesting, they're funny, they're compelling they think about what they say. They think about how they say it. And they put so much emphasis on what they're trying to do and how they're trying to get people to listen to them. You see, for the last few weeks, we've been talking about how to be an influencer and how to use our influence wisely. We talked about how our actions, our microphones that broadcast the message of our lives much louder than our words, which is why influencers should be humble and not arrogant. We talked about how wisdom isn't just about knowing what's right and wrong. It's about turning our beliefs into action. That's why influencers must chase what's good and not evil. And we talked about how influence should live small but dream big. 
You see, we need to recognize you are already an influencer because your life influences the lives of the people who come in contact with you. But the question you need to answer is this. What kind of influencer will I be? And as we come to a close of this series and we, and we just look at a couple more things, we need to ask ourselves, what is it that we really want people to know about us? You see, great influencers are intentional about the stories they're telling. One of the things we believe as we think about it is that it's a story that is being still being written today as it talks about our Christian life. But we need to understand that we have a big story to tell. And Jesus told his disciples when he was leaving that they had a story to tell, that he was not just leaving them, but he wanted them to spread the story. You know, I want you to imagine for a second, because I know we can think of a time where you may have been a kid or whatever it may be, and you could think of a story that you were just dying to tell someone, that you would do anything to give them a story. I want to ask you this question as a, as a believer. Do you have that same passion for telling the story of Jesus Christ? Do you have the same passion of being excited, of telling someone about the good news of Christ? As we think of Matthew chapter 28, 16 and 20, it says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in, them in the name of the Father, and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, Jesus told the disciples to spread the good news about his invitation to be a part of God's big story. Jesus told them to teach others everything Jesus had taught them. And Jesus reminded them that he was going to be with them always. Even though he wouldn't be physically walking with them any longer, he would never leave them on their own. You see, the idea of spreading God's big story all over the world is pretty intimidating mission. When we consider that, but we have hope because we have Jesus Christ. He has left the Holy Spirit with us to help us. And Jesus did not say, make sure everyone is following all of my rules and living perfectly before you baptize, baptize them. And make sure they have no doubts. You see, he doesn't. He recognizes that we need to understand that people are going to struggle. There's no one who is perfect. But we need to understand that people have to come to God first. And he wanted them to not recognize that this is for the world, this message. You see, you might feel uncomfortable and nervous about making God's story sometimes a part of your own story. You might be thinking that you don't have the gift of evangelism or even that people really want to know about God. But we need to understand this, that it is our job to tell us about Christ. It's not as just an evangelist. He's called all of us to influence the world with this message. You see, God's story is a part of our story. And God's story should be part of the message you send with your life, both through your words and through your actions. You see, we need to, so many times we allow, as we probably talked about earlier, that we allow our actions to discount our words. That our words don't line up and, and, and they don't line up with our actions, so we have just disqualified everything we've said. And we need to understand that we don't want to disqualify 
especially when it comes to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And we don't want to give him a bad name because we give him a bad reputation. We say we are a part of him and we have a relationship with him. We don't live it. You know, you think about it sometimes in today's society where people say, I don't want to give my, my parents a bad name. What about the game of Jesus? Are you passionate about not giving him a bad name more than even your parents? Because this is what God has called us to do, to go out and preach the gospel. In Romans chapter 10, verses 13 and 15, it says this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And, not, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You see, Paul is telling us we have a role in, to play in sharing God's big story. We have a message that we have that we need to tell us about Christ and we need to influence the world by this message. You see, you and I have been given so much. God offers us the gift of salvation, of wisdom, and opportunities to have influence in the world. But we've also been given a mission to do something with what we've been given. You see, if you don't share God's story, then who is going to do it? We have to understand that God is calling us to share this story with others. So I ask you, are you sharing the story? Are you being an influence? Are you doing what you can to be the best person, the best storyteller, and the best individual for Jesus Christ that you possibly can? Are you disqualifying yourself by your actions? Are you disqualifying the message? You see, the message is always going to be relevant. But sometimes the messenger disqualifies himself. The message is always going to be real, and it's going to be profound. It's going to be strong. But we got to ask ourselves, are we doing all that we can in our own lives to be the best individual that we possibly can and to be the best messenger that we can? Because that's what God has called us to be. He's called us to be his messengers. So I challenge you, are you being a good messenger? Are you being the best possible messenger that you can possibly be? Are you being the best influencer that you can be? Are your actions and words lining up? Because the reality is that the, the message that we have is the most powerful message that has ever been given to anyone. And God has given us the opportunity to share this message with those that we influence and around the world. So I challenge you. Think of your life and ask yourself, how can I be a better influencer for Jesus Christ? And how can I, as it says in verse 15 of Romans chapter 10, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, that we would continue to preach the good news because that is what God has called each of us to. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary 
are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliot. Galatians 6, verse 16. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Question, to whom does Paul refer when he writes, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God? Many commentators suggest that Paul is referring to believing Gentiles when he says them and believing Jews when he says the Israel of God. By adding the phrase, and upon the Israel of God, Paul singles out Jewish Christians for special mention. But one wonders why Paul would argue neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision in 6 verse 15 and then distinguish the two believing peoples in the very next verse. A better solution is to understand that Paul is identifying believing Gentiles with the Israel of God. The conjunction and, Greek, the word chi, between them and the Israel of God is ep-exegetical. That's an interesting word. Let's continue reading. It is ep-exegetical, identifying the two groups as one. The chi might be better translated even. In verse 16, Paul brings the argument of this epistle to a pinnacle. Gentile believers don't need Jewish ritual because no one can be justified by the works of the law. That was stated in Galatians 2 verse 16. There is no difference spiritually between Jewish and Gentile believers. See Galatians 3.28 and 6 verse 15. The whole Christian community, believing Jews and believing Gentiles, constitute the sons and daughters of Abraham through faith. See Romans chapter 4, verses 11 to 12, and verse 16. This affirmation does not undermine the distinctiveness of the Jewish people in biblical prophecy, nor detract from the specific promises made by God to ethnic Israel. We want to conclude this Echoes of Calvary broadcast with a Puritan prayer. The Puritan prayer God enjoyed. Thou, incomprehensible but prayer-hearing God, known but beyond knowledge, revealed but unrevealed, my wants and welfare draw me to thee, for thou hast never said, Seek ye me in vain. To thee I come in my difficulties, necessities, distresses. Possess me with thyself, with a spirit of grace and supplication, with a prayerful attitude of mind, with access into warmth of fellowship, so that in the ordinary concerns of life, my thoughts and desires may rise to thee, and in habitual devotion, I may find a resource that will soothe my sorrows, sanctify my successes, and qualify me in all ways for dealings with my fellow men. I bless thee that thou hast made me capable of knowing thee, the author of all being, of resembling thee, 
the perfection of all excellency, of enjoying Thee, the source of all happiness. O God, attend me in every part of my arduous and trying pilgrimage. I need the same counsel, defense, comfort I found at my beginning. Let my religion be more obvious to my conscience, more perceptible to those around. While Jesus is representing me in heaven, may I reflect him on earth. While he pleads my cause, may I show forth his praise. Continue the gentleness of thy goodness toward me, and whether I wake or sleep, let thy presence go with me, thy blessing attend me. Thou hast led me on, and I have found thy promises true. I have been sorrowful, but thou hast been my help, fearful, but thou hast delivered me, despairing, but thou hast lifted me up. Thy vows are ever upon me, and I praise thee, O God. Amen. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.